traveling through another dimension. Another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. But of mind. A journey into a wondrous land, land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Tonight on the Twilight Zone podcast, we carry on our journey through season two of the new Twilight Zone. And much as I adore my guest tonight, I'm not going to lock eyes with her just in case we switch places. <laughs> but it, w- it wouldn't be such a bad thing. It wouldn't be such a bad thing. Welcome back to the podcast, Brandy. Oh, thank you so very much. I would say I would have a much more fun time in your body than you would in mine. So <laughs> we'll just we'll just not stare at each other i don't think it works through a screen because it didn't work through glasses so i think we're safe okay cool we'll we'll go with that we'll go with that all right how have you been brandy it's been a while Uh, it has been a while and i am great a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff going on a lot of new announcements of podcasts i'm involved in went out recently so uh, i'm busy excited and Uh i'm so happy to be back here talking with you about the twilight zone Good, good. Well, it wouldn't be the same to, uh, you know, talk about the new Twilight Zone without you. Now, there's a funny kind of synchronicity to this, but we'll get to that later. Um, How have you enjoyed season two so far? Well, I have enjoyed it. Um, I, a lot of people really loved that first episode, but I was not in that camp. Mm -hmm. I loved the performances. Yeah. I absolutely loved the performances. But the story itself was just so hopeless. <laughs> it, <laughs> it felt more like Black Mirror than The Twilight Zone to me. Uh-huh. And I also am just like, oh, great. Another woman manipulating a man to kill for her story was kind of how it felt to me. But I'm not saying that I hated the episode. I There were so many aspects of it that I liked. I just saw the ending a mile away. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't it wasn't my favorite. I'm part of several conversations all over the web about the Twilight Zone, and it's certainly one that a lot of people kind of take it on the surface, and I think I did as well to a degree, as just a bit of a kind of tonally shifting thriller, if you like. Mm-hmm. And it's it's when you start to get underneath the hood of it that maybe people get a bit divided on it. I'm not too sure. I mean, my, I was kind of solidifying my own thoughts on it last time i still really like the episode i think they are a bit more solid now as to what i think it's actually all about but i won't get into that now but it was a good one for me but what about episode two then i actually very much enjoyed episode two Mm -hmm. and my husband dave after the first episode he really didn't like it and he's just like i'm not sure if i'm going to continue and i said oh come on you know you're going to continue. <laughs> you're not going to give up after one episode that rubbed you the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And so we have continued and we have enjoyed each episode that we've watched so far. I am sorry to say that I haven't been through the entire season yet, and I'm really looking forward to the rest of it. But uh, yeah, we're, we have been up to episode five, <laughs> and so we still have five to go. You know what, though? That's no bad thing because... In a way, I'm sad that I had to just get through it so mm. quick, but I knew that things would be spoiled and, and certain things I've seen online since 
have only confirmed that to me that it was the right thing to do but yeah I would have loved to maybe spent you know three or four weeks just doing it at a certain pace so it's no bad thing and uh, you know hopefully nothing too much gets spoiled for you going forward (laughs) actually I haven't had anything spoiled for me yet because Mm. basically my Twitter and Facebook right now consists of mainly Star Trek stuff right for which there are no spoilers right now (laughs) so I uh, I just ignore all of the rest so that I don't get spoiled. One of the interesting things I've found this year is I am the worst person at spotting Easter eggs and connectivity and stuff. And in season one, there was a lot of stuff running through it where you're like, oh, like the comedians on the cover of a magazine and Nightmare at 30,000 feet and, and all those kinds of things. Now, I was lucky enough to get to see three episodes before the season started and I was like, man, they, they must have just totally got rid of that kind of thing now. But but they so haven't. I just missed them all. Do you do you do you catch any of it? I I have missed I missed some of them too. There are some things that I have caught. Uh, it's all kind of a jumble in my brain right now because all of the episodes are kind of coalescing together, even though their stories are very different. Uh-huh. And so I it's I sometimes I'm like, okay, so what was episode two about? Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I there have been a few Easter eggs, like especially in episode five, when you see that uh, fan magazine with minks on the cover. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Uh, that was definitely a callback there. And uh, there there are some other little things. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I I just I haven't looked at them closely enough and watched them enough times to really pick up on that. But that's something that I actually look forward to in a rewatch mm. is, OK, now I know the story. Now I can pay attention to these other details and see these little Easter eggs that they've put in. Good. I enjoy it, too. You know, I have caught a couple, but uh, I won't go into that too much. Should we get into our first story? Let's do it. OK, let's do it. Our first story is called The Who of You, and it's written by Wynne Rosenfeld directed by Peter Atencio. Now, Brandy, a little factoid I'm going to start off with here is that our main character, Harry Pine, is played by an actor called Ethan Embry. Mm-hmm. Are, are you familiar with him at all? Or I have seen him in things before. I, I Honestly, his, he's got a very long list of guest appearances on things. Mm-hmm. So I know that I have seen him on many things uh, usually just a one shot. But when I saw him, I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy. Uh-huh. I like this guy. Would it surprise you to hear that he's been in the Twilight Zone before? No, I knew okay. that. <laughs> so you know that factoid. Well, yes. I mean, I can't take credit for it. A, a friend of the yeah. show called Roger told me about it, that he was actually in the 2000s Twilight 2000s. Zone. Yep. And it was a story called Time Lapse. Now, That in itself isn't weird because obviously a working actor could come back to a show. I mean, there's a million Star Trek people who have done that, I would imagine. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And often as different characters. I suppose the spooky thing about this one is that Time Lapse is a kind of body swap story as well. And I also would think that uh, they would have looked at that and said, okay, if we want someone who can embody several different people, this is our guy. And they are not wrong on that point. I mean, before we even get into the story, I I think he did a great job. I mean, what a juggling act this will be. We'll get into that in a sec. Mm. But I really can't fault any of the casting in really any of these episodes. I think 
production-wise and uh, character-wise, the the actors they all do an amazing job. And I'm not just blowing smoke up, you know, anyone's backside here. Everyone just does a really good job this season, and they did last year. But you know, hats off to them this year as well. I agree completely. If if even if I didn't like any of the episodes, which is not the case, I would still love the production values. I would still love the music production, and mm. I would love the performances because there hasn't been a bad one in the bunch. Not, not as far as performances and such. For me, it's been just five stars across the board. So in The Who of You, we meet our main character, Harry Pine, and he's a struggling actor. He, we first meet him at an audition, and he says, I can't remember who he says he's auditioning for, but he says it's Officer Something. Chesterfield, I think. Okay. I thought that was a nice little bit of foreshadowing. You know, it's not the same uh, name as what he goes into later on, but... So what, what's your take on Harry? Because a, a Twilight Zone protagonist often has personal flaws. There's a reason why the Twilight Zone interacts with them. What, what's your take on Harry? My take on him early on before uh, his girlfriend puts her two cents in, and I feel like she was spot on, is that he feels entitled to things. Yeah. And honestly, just knowing what I know about auditions and theater, I'm not a professional actor. But I have friends of friends who are professional actors and struggling actors, etc. You do not go into an audition on book. You have that memorized. Mm. You do not go in there unprepared. Right. Just thinking that you're entitled to get it because you know this particular producer or director or what have you. You come and you do the work before you get there and then you show respect to the mm -hmm. people for whom you're auditioning and you see this shift when they when the i guess what was his name john you never see him you just hear his voice mm. and he says can we slate this again we need this audition clean and you just see this change in in harry's face in his eyes it's masterful acting it's so masterful Mm -hmm. And you just right there, you know what kind of person he is. And you're just like, OK, so he's going to bomb this and he's going to be upset because it's always going to be someone else's fault. Yeah. And so that's that's Harry's big deal is it's always someone else's fault. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Very much so. And I think one of the good things about it is that he's not written or played as just an out and out complete villain you know oh no no it's done i think at a very believable level it's all the little things as you go along and later on someone says about him um i think it was one of the cops yeah he he was on a national tv show once and it's almost as if he got a big break once and maybe that's the thing that ruined him i don't know that he's like i'm the guy who was on you know i don't know I'm trying to think of some TV show that died to death back in the day. like NYPD Blue, there you go. Uh, yeah, I was on Time Cop or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not, that's not the example you would want to use. I mean, that's kind of how I see him, though, because yeah. um, like a show that maybe could have went somewhere, but so it was a national show. It was going out everywhere. Maybe they even got a couple of seasons out of it. But it died a death. And then ever since then, he's thought, 
hold on, I was on that show, you know, that mm-hmm. show shouldn't have been cancelled. That's where this kind of entitlement came from. So, yeah, you know, great performance by Ethan Embry, I think, and uh, a nicely kind of pitched, if you like. Just in the first instance, when all you see is his eye, just just that, just the light shining into his eye. And I just thought, ooh, this is going to be a masterpiece of acting. <laughs> <laughs> because I wasn't sure which episode it was going to be because of course I listened to the episode with that you had with Wynn Rosenfeld and so I was uh-huh. waiting for his episode and I didn't check ahead to see which one it was going to be all I knew was that it was a heist body swap thing and so when that first switch happens I'm like oh, oh this is the win one this is the win one <laughs> so I got really excited but it's it's acting is such a weird job because you're only as good as your last audition. Mm. You have to keep basically an audition is basically begging someone to let you work. Right. And it's such a strange, strange thing that you have to keep proving over and over and over again that you are capable of this thing that you want to be your livelihood. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not an easy life. And I get that. And and he I think got I think you're right. I think he got spoiled by being on that show. Uh-huh. And now he feels that's where he gets that entitlement that this should be mine because I am good. I w- I did this. 10 years ago. So we have this scene with his, his girlfriend and we see the clippings that she's very much on the up. It seems that she's having some success, but there are money worries. And so he goes to the bank and, uh, you know, he, he tries to rob the bank kind of thing. At, at first I was thinking, man, he's the worst bank robber ever because <laughs> he walks in without a face covering. But I suppose that makes it a different kind of robbery then. He's trying to slip in get the money and go you know we we'll kind of have to give it that because you've got to go with something i guess haven't you but he goes to the cashier he tries to pull the robbery off and then he has his first switch now i haven't really said it yet but our first opening narration is jordan peele sat behind the desk and you know me brandy interactivity <laughs> is key for a you know obviously the words are important but interactivity if it's in a diner you want them to be sitting in the diner you know that mm-hmm. kind of thing so i love that he was sat behind the desk in episode um one he was in the mirror that was cool but yes. i really loved in episode two where he's looking up at the orb with everybody yes. else that was brilliant yeah, and like the the character just goes past them, and he turns around and gives the opening narration. I think they've really knocked out of the park the the staging of the narrations this year. I completely agree. I I watch for it just to see mm-hmm. where they're going to put him, and every time, in my opinion, it's been flawless. He's the one in the mirror. I just honestly, I just said, oh yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was, I felt like that was just a stroke of genius. It just felt perfect to see him in the reflection. So, yeah, I have no complaints over any of his opening or closing narrations or not a closing narration, as is the case in one. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) I suppose in that first episode, he was 
in a men's bathroom. So the, the only other thing it could have been was stood next to in him at the urinal or something let's or walking out that. of a stall. No. So, yeah, let's no. go with the mirror. <laughs> that, anything else would have been in poor taste, but even yeah. so, you know, it still was just a nice surprise. Because yeah. you're never really sure when that opening narration is going to come. And when it does, it's just, it's it seems like, oh, yes, this is the perfect spot to do that. It's a pretty fast moving episode isn't it it can once mm. once that starts it keeps going it keeps going and and that's why i said to win it must have been a bit of a juggling act not only in the writing but then he he mentioned the director uh peter atencio sort of brought a lot to it it could have been a mess couldn't it how do you think they handled this brandy i have no problem with how it was handled it was it was amazing for Ethan Embry because he got to play so many different characters, but it was also amazing for all of these other actors because they got to embody Harry. Mm. And every single one of them brought characteristics that we see in that opening bit before the opening narration begins. Yeah. Uh, you know, just the way he touches his face because he has a beard and certain gestures, his, you know, certain ways he moves his head. They all just embody one of those aspects so that you mm-hmm. know who is who at every moment yeah. or who is whom, excuse me. So <laughs> I, I thought it was not hard to follow. I don't think it was a mess. I found it actually very, very well done. The one I liked was when the cop was in the bathroom and he yes. was like trying to get used to his new mouth kind of thing. Yes, and he was, that was, he was fantastic. Speaking into the mirror. But, you know, Harry's such a, he has this kind of ego to him that he couldn't help pulling his gun out and, you know, doing his whole bit to the mirror. And he's still patting himself on the back that he'd just done a, a great job with that performance. So that was that was really cool. So, you know, it, it goes on and it goes on. And, and I think... One of the things that I like about this is that we often see in the Twilight Zone something is acting on a person. You know, they're the person seeing the thing on the wing. They're the person who is being affected. I think what I liked about this one is the inclusion of Detective Reese and that there was someone else kind of bearing witness to it and trying to figure out what was going on. I thought that was a nice little wrinkle to a like a well-used Twilight Zone uh, situation, if you like. Not the whole situation, but the fact that something was acting upon a person. But usually they're alone in that. But mm. this time there was someone else kind of thinking, hold on, something's not right here. So I really enjoyed that aspect of it. I did as well. Uh, it's it's one of those situations where generally a person in the, uh, who is witnessing this other person seemingly switching personalities it's you're thinking okay they have dissociative identity disorder but then these people know things that they shouldn't know couldn't know unless they Mm -hmm. were that person and so he 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 actually is kind of logical about it in a way because when you eliminate the possible then you have to start looking at the improbable Mm-hmm. And so he starts to figure out that there is something, for lack of a better word, supernatural going on 
because especially with when Luntz is in Harry's body, because, you know, Luntz is like, hey, I know your secret. Yeah. Yeah. So and there's no one else who could have known that. So Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that was the turning point for him thinking, okay, something is going on here. Do you think he was talking about Detective Reese sleeping with Harry's girlfriend? Do you think that was a secret he was talking about? Uh, That would be my guess. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting watching the episode after you know the ending and watching Reese's reactions to certain things, Uh almost as if he's, you know, projecting guilt, Uh especially when the when the other officer is saying, you know, Luntz took the money and ran. He's like, that doesn't sound like Luntz. And. And uh, they're like, well, you, how do you ever really know anybody? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just I don't know. He's he's a great actor. And just a certain look in his eye now, once you know the ending, and you look at that and like, oh, he's thinking about that right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's It's there. You see it there, but you don't have context for it until the end. And so watching it again makes it so much more interesting, his performance especially. I think I mentioned that in the last show, that the rewarding of multiple watches with a lot of these episodes, and, and this was one of them as well. I've actually seen it three times. It was one of the preview episodes from uh, right? CBS, <laughs> so I watched it then. Then I watched it before I interviewed Wynn, and then I've watched it again for this. And to be honest, I came to this one thinking, okay, well, I've seen it twice now. Am I going <laughs> to... You know, is it is it going to be boring? But to its credit, it, you know, it held up. It held up really well to a third watch in such a small uh, space of time because this one's a romp, you know. It mm-hmm. it does have something going on under the surface, but it is, like Wynn said, it's a heist kind of movie, so it moves. It's a romp. There's different characters in it, really enjoyable characters like... I forget the name of the gentleman in the shop, the psychic. Keith. Yeah, Keith. Played by the incomparable Billy Porter. Oh, it brought me such joy to see him. I find myself a lot because I am so stuck in the Twilight Zone a lot of times. <laughs> and there's only certain modern shows that I watch. So tell me about him. What's What's he been in? Uh, he's most famous for the television show Pose. Okay. And I haven't, unfortunately, seen most of it. Mm. Uh, he makes waves at awards shows because he dresses however he wants. Okay. And there's a lot of cross-gender things going on because, it, it, honestly, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's not this is for boys and this is for girls. All of that stuff should just go the way of the dodo. I mean, really, it's 2020 now. Get with it. And he's uh-huh. one of those people. He's just like, no, this is who I am. This is how I dress. And you guys have to deal with that. But he's <laughs> he's magnificent. He is a magnificent actor and can can be absolutely anything you want him to be. He is He's one of those people that will just utterly convince you. Because when he comes on, he's the psychic. He's not Billy Porter. He's the psychic for me. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. it. Yeah. And embodies that character. And I loved his performance. And I love especially when he is telling Harry off. <laughs> just, you know, it's about empathy. <laughs> just yeah. like that person you jumped into, that is a person. And just, uh even scam artists can still have empathy. So great character. It's 
telling as well that it's only actually a small part, mm-hmm. but it was in a lot of the advertising and he has such a presence that you think you thought that the episode was going to be about him or when's mm-hmm. that episode going to happen where like he's the main character or something. But it's only quite a small part, but he, he brings so much to it that it really kind of sticks in your head. You know, it moves along. There's the body switching. We're following the money. Detective Reese, who, again, I thought the actor did a great job, um, mm. is following this. And Ethan Embry's doing his thing. So in the end, we have this kind of three-way face-off, if you like. We have Harry, who has body switched with the kid, and both of them are present there in that room because he's trying to get back into the shop to get the money and Detective Reese is there and so on. But Harry, instead of switching bodies with the child again, he jumps into Detective Reese. The cops come in, they see Harry's body holding a gun and they shoot Harry. So Harry is now, I would say permanently, but I don't suppose we really know that for sure. Does he carry on and keep this power or is this, you know, the Twilight Zone has done its thing and it, it stays that way? Harry seems to be in Detective Reese's body now and he goes back to his apartment. His intention was to tell her that Harry's dead, but then she recognises him and we find out that uh, they've been having an affair. Did you see that coming, Brandy, or surprised? Uh, I was actually not surprised that she was having an affair with him because he, you know, Harry at one point says, I think she's cheating on me. And I thought, okay, so who's she cheating with? And when mm-hmm. he keeps getting phone calls and he's like, yeah. this is not a good time. And it's obviously woman. I'm like, okay, that's her. Mm-hmm. So, cause Harry's not home. And uh, yeah, so I wasn't surprised by that at all, but I, I didn't know how the whole body switching thing was going to end. I honestly didn't think that Harry was going to, his body was going to end up dead. Mm-hmm. However, um, honestly, and, and this is just a, a thought of what's, you know, the current climate of the world as far as things. Um, if Harry had, was a black man, he would have been shot and killed in that bank. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. all there is to it. In in this country, he would have been shot and killed in that bank. Unfortunately, our entire country, the police system, evolved from slave patrols. That is their basis. So it's actually an institution built on racism and trying to keep black people down. So, <laughs> so Harry was pretty lucky he was white and lived that far. And... Uh, yeah, I, I saw part of it coming, but not all of it coming. So I did enjoy the twist of Harry actually losing his body. And I feel my personal feeling is that he, I, I'm pretty sure he has to just be in this body now because yeah. he has everything he wants. And there's no way he can go the rest of his life without accidentally locking eyes with somebody. <laughs> so especially the girlfriend. <laughs> Yeah, so. wow, that would make some. Uh, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Yeah, no, I know. I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking the same thing. So, yeah. I mean, so we have a flawed character then, and we see at the end that when he's in Detective Reese's body, and now he's this big hunky guy, mm-hmm. uh, and he gets the lead role in whatever it is he's auditioning for. 
is this a punishment for him or or not? Because he seems to now have everything he wants. I'm not sure whether this was what Wynn was going for or not. I kind of felt it might be a, a form of you've got everything you want, but you've also got to live with the fact that your girlfriend, yes, she might now see Detective Reese, but in the back of his mind, will he always have uh, that she rejected Harry Pine? You know what I mean? Mm. So it, it's it's all very much on the surface now. Is he ever going to be able to to relax with that? that actually she rejected him and it's only because she thinks he's someone else that she's still with him. I don't know. What What do you think of the, the kind of balance of justice here, whether there's any comeuppance? How do you interpret it? Just because we don't actually see justice in the end of the episode doesn't mean that justice doesn't get served down the road because mm-hmm. nobody is going to be a star forever and being in a different body doesn't change Harry's mindset. Mm -hmm. So eventually he's going to become restless. He's not going to be able to get the parts he wants anymore, etc. And it's all going to go back to the same situation that it was before because he hasn't learned anything. Mm -hmm. He hasn't progressed. He hasn't made himself better. He's simply stolen someone else's life and stepped into it to make himself feel better. And yeah. whether we see it or not, karma or the Twilight Zone going to end up slapping him down. You're absolutely right. That's a good way of looking at it. He hasn't grown in any way. He felt he was entitled to certain things. And in a way, now he's got these certain things. Will it ever be enough for him? Maybe mm-hmm. not a guy like Harry, you know. But uh, I think we both might be right on that one. There's, there's certainly an element of that as well, that the woman he, he now shares his life with ultimate, ultimately rejected the real him is that going to eat away at him i don't know but um you know what i like about this episode is that it's a struggle with the twilight zone and it's a struggle that i probably had in the past but i'm trying to really put to one side and i think i have for the most part is that it would be easy to come to something like this and say well here's our episode like walking distance well here's our episode like time enough at last Here's our episode like this. Over on Patreon, I do a show looking at the 80s Twilight Zone, and I find myself sometimes saying, oh, I like that one because it was like such and such an episode from the original show. But ultimately, I think I've learned not to be too precious with how I think the Twilight Zone must be because you're just setting yourself up to fail because we all have this idea in our heads as to what the Twilight Zone is. And obviously it's got to feel like the Twilight Zone. And and Wynn spoke about that, you know, to him, the most important thing is, does it feel like the Twilight Zone? And what I like about this is it just gently nudges the kind of boundaries of a, a Twilight Zone episode. It is, yes, the body switching. You could see that in the original show. Absolutely. A flawed individual, yeah, sure. But it, it's just the whole staging of it. It's a situation that we haven't really seen before. So it's it's just nudging the boundaries of what the Twilight Zone does. And I think that's why I've got a lot of time for this episode because I think, you know, it does take a few risks, but it pays off. So 
I'm really quite pleased with this one. What about you? What's your final summing up of it? I I love this episode. And just shout out to that kid. Oh, my word. That kid was unreal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely unreal. I have never seen a child embody an adult like he did. It was amazing. So I don't know where they found him, but that kid has a future (laughs) in acting. (laughs) He is great. Um, When you look at it, the three main people in this episode, which are Harry and uh, Detective Reese and uh, the girlfriend who, what is her name? I want to say Morena, something like that. Anyway. Yeah, it is Morena. It is Morena. Okay. Uh, She, all three of them are not really good people. Uh, yes, Marina's a rising star, and she's she's getting work, but she's also cheating on her boyfriend. The officer, uh, the detective's cheating with her. Mm-hmm. Harry does these. Harry keeps willfully misunderstanding what the actual problem is. I love when she says it. He says this is about money, and she says no, this is about work. Careers take work. Relationships take work, and mm-hmm. she's not wrong. She yeah. she is right about that, and. That was the thing is that Harry just wasn't willing to put in that work. I mean, even going to rob a bank and flying by the seat of his pants after that. I mean, just if he had stopped for a minute and thought, it's like, dude, first of all, ditch the bag. Okay. The bag is what everyone's looking for. Go get, oh, I don't know, a briefcase. You're in this guy's body now. You can go just into a store, buy a briefcase, put the money in that. It's just, you know, there's so (laughs) many ways he could have made the situation easier for himself. But it's again, that entitlement thing. He just wants things handled for him. He wants things to happen to him and not make those things happen. And that is an important lesson is that if you want something to happen in your life, you have to proactively work towards it. Mm -hmm. And Harry wasn't doing that. Well, he was, he was trying to do that, but he wasn't really putting the work in. So the performances in this amazing, the storytelling really enjoyed. Uh, I have nothing bad to say about it. Well, our resident stats man, Harold Clark, is kind of t- keeping tabs on things, so we might get a final tally at the end of the um, at the end of the season as to what the kind of collective favorite is. So, if you had to score this one out of ten, Brandy, what would you give it? Gosh, I hate doing ratings because I always just feel like I know that's why I never do them in general. <laughs> I I would say for me, all of the aspects of it, I would give it a. Uh, nine Keiths out of 10. It was just really, it really was top notch in all aspects of production, performance, music, filming, everything. I hate doing ratings too, because if you don't give it full marks, then it's almost like what's wrong with it. But that's not necessarily the case that there's something wrong with it. Exactly. So I'll give it a strong eight, I think. And I will also say that it's not my top episode of the season, but that's nothing against it. It's just that there's some that I like more. But I think if I was going to pick up the box and just say, you know, I'm going to throw one of these on, there's a good chance that this one might be the at the top of the heap in that way. That it's like, I can watch this at any time and, and just you can sit there and just, just watch the romp happen or you can sit there and try and, you know, think it out a bit more, like try and figure a few things out so it's got a good kind of dual aspect to it so yeah i'll give it a strong eight 
Nice. All right. Well, let's get to our second episode then, which is called Ovation, which was written by, well, the story was by a gentleman called David Wheel and the teleplay by Emily Chang and Sarah Amini. So this one, before I was saying that there's a certain amount of um, synchronicity in us covering this episode, because in season one, we spoke about the comedian. Mm. So I, I think there's a certain kind of synchronicity with this one as well, but we'll get into that as well. Um, so when we begin our episode, we see a, a singer called Fiji, and she's kind of doing, it looks like a music video. Yeah, she's, she's filming a music, music video for sure. When I, when I first watched it, I thought, well, it's kind of strange. She's just mouthing the words. I couldn't see that she had headphones in or anything. If you're mouthing the words from a music video, surely they must be playing in the room for you to mouth along too, because no one's that, that good of a lip syncer that they can do it from memory. Then with hindsight, I'm thinking, has she just got to the point where she doesn't even bother singing anymore? Mm. <laughs> Which, so did you, did you notice that little bit at the start? I did. I, the thing is, is that the sound was purposely muddied to the point where you couldn't really tell what you were hearing. And it sounded to me like there was singing going on, like there was music going on. Uh -huh. Because when it finally gets to the point where you're hearing the director talk, there's there's not actually singing going on there. Right. So there's not actually any lyrics or anything in whatever song it was. So I'm just making the assumption that she was lip syncing to a backing track and right. that we just didn't hear it because, oh my gosh, if we heard it, maybe we would be standing up and clapping for her in our own homes. We can't <laughs> take that chance. <laughs> we can't take that chance indeed. So um, so I'm, I'll be interested to watch that again then and, and try and take note of that because at first I thought, what's she mouthing to? But maybe it's just that they're focusing on what the director's saying. I don't know. But then after... I figured out what the episode was about. I thought maybe she's just like, you know, why even bother singing? I might as well just move my mouth because the effect is the same. So I'll, uh, I'll look out for that next time. So so we meet our main character called Jasmine, played by uh, Jenny Smollett. Again, another great performance. Now, I'm not aware of her, but I understand she was in Birds of Prey as Black she Canary. Was, she was Black Have Canary. Have you seen it? I have, and I enjoyed it very much. <laughs> a bunch of women kicking butt. What's not to like about that? Absolutely. So she was brilliant in that. Her performance was brilliant, and I could tell from her performance in that that she was capable of singing, that she was doing the singing. So Because she's basically, when you first see her, she's basically kind of like a nightclub singer under the villain's thumb. And right. uh, so... You, you don't actually even get to see her use her powers till close to the end of the movie because she is extremely strong in that regard. And so when I first saw her, I was just like, wait, 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 wait. That's Black Canary. That's Black Canary. And I was so excited because I loved her in Birds of Prey. <laughs> okay. I'll have to check that out. I mean, usually I'm on the ball with comic book stuff, but I've kind of lost track lately. Um, okay. So she's our main character and we find a like busking in the street and Fiji comes over and they have a little chat and you know Fiji says what do you want from this 
and Jasmine says, I want what you have. So Fiji hands over this coin. Kids and things start coming over and then, you know, trying to get selfies and so on. But then Fiji goes in front of a bus and, uh, and kills herself. And that's when I guess the, the story begins for Jasmine. So I've got a couple of thoughts about this one. It's almost like a, a, an episode of Two Halves. And mm-hmm. I kind of feel a bit differently about the Two Halves. Mm-hmm. I mean, it definitely seems to be about the kind of climate we live in now where fame, not all people, obviously, but there is a certain brand of person or type of person or or whatever who just want to be famous it's not i want to be a singer because i love to sing it's i want to be famous and i think clearly this is talking about that we have shows over here like x factor and so on and you've got american idol and stuff over there haven't you brandy uh, American Idol, not so much anymore, but we have other right. weird things like the Masked Singer and America's Got Talent. You know, we mm-hmm. like to rip off everything from across the pond. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, there's uh, oh, and the Voice. There's the Voice as well. All oh yeah, of those we've got are, a version of that as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I honestly don't watch any of them because I watching people sing is not necessarily my favorite form of entertainment i like hearing them sing but Mm -hmm. a lot of them don't yet know how to perform if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense so it's not necessarily something that interests me uh i'm more of a let's watch a dancing competition and i'm not talking about dancing with the stars no (laughs) the thing is i'm sure on american tv as well like the talent show Mm -hmm has existed probably almost as long as television itself. Oh, yeah. But I think what it means as a whole has really changed. You know, we had a show, I think it was called New Faces back in the day, and it was a talent show. But we only had like three, two or three channels back then. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people who are still working today came off that show you know um so i'm not saying talent shows don't have any have any merit but i think because of the world we live in now it's almost like a meat grinder isn't it you know what i mean it's just like you know more fuel more more stuff to throw into the meat grinder and someone is the the darling of the day when they're on that show and maybe for five minutes when it's over Mm -hmm. and there are a few exceptions. There are people who do seem to carry on, but the way people are kind of minced through these shows is like insane. And and I think obviously that's what this is commenting on, isn't it? It is. And honestly, when you started talking about talent shows back in the day, I had a flashback to my childhood because we had a local talent show called Talent <laughs> Showcase with Eugene Jelesnik. And it was all local people and they would Mm. have you know someone they would have judges and someone would end up being a winner and you could pretty much do any kind of act you wanted and so I remember watching that every week and I also (laughs) remember my grandmother uh, worked at a an ice cream slash candy store back when they still had like soda fountains and stuff like that there was a place Mm -hmm. in in Utah called Snowgroves that still did actual soda fountain stuff and she ran uh-huh. the candy counter and she said oh he he's a jerk he comes in always wanting free samples of all the candy <laughs> <laughs> but 
Yeah, unfortunately, none of those people ever went on to stardom really outside of the state. But right. yeah, it, it, it is a meat grinder, especially where singing is concerned, because and I'm not saying that singing doesn't take talent and training. It does. But it is not as physically intensive as, say, dancing. Mm-hmm. Dancing, it, it can be really brutal on the body if you don't take care right. of yourself and have proper training. And that could be the case with singing as well. But there are a lot more singers than there are dancers. Let's just put it mm-hmm. that way. So, but yeah, yeah, just chew them up, spit them out, and you never know who's going to actually stay in the spotlight and who's just going to disappear into oblivion. And I'm sure it's the same over there as it is here that because we have like a million channels now, these people come on these shows and stuff. And it's almost sad in a way Mm. when it's almost like they've been promised the earth. You won this show and then you see him presenting like an antique show on some channel that no one ever watches. You just trying to hold on to that fame. Mm-hmm. I just need to stay in this, you know. And some people go back to their day to day lives, but I think the difference is, I suppose that talent shows back in the day were probably people who were performing locally anyway. You know, mm-hmm. like the local magician or the local comedian or. Probably not exclusively, but now there is this thing where Joe Bloggs can be sitting at home and I think, I'll have a go at that, and they go on to X Factor and they make a fool of themselves in front of, you know, the whole nation. Uh, and this, the kind of effect of that, so there's that part of it, but then there are the people who, for like, it literally is 15 minutes of fame now, they are one of the most famous people in the country But then when the show is over, if that fame doesn't stick, then they're nobody. And, you know, the only thing you're going to see next is them going back to their old job and some kind of snotty magazine article saying, look at them now. You know, it is Mm -hmm. it is just such an unforgiving thing, isn't it? It truly, truly is. And it's it's very much a fickle beast. You never know which way the wind is going to blow. You never know who mm-hmm. is going to make it, who is going to fall. And honestly, fame shouldn't really be what it's about, but that is what it's about because fame yeah. gets you work. Uh-huh. And that's that's a more difficult thing for a singer. Uh, so standing out, having that moment of fame could lead to bigger yeah. things or it could be a dead end. Mm-hmm. So it's like if you're not doing it just for the love of performing, then yeah. chances are it's not going to go well. And I suppose in the beginning, Jasmine was because she was sitting in the street. She was busking. She was singing a song because she liked to do it. So I'll say what I liked about the episode. You know, to have this personified in a coin, I was cool with that because it's a Twilight Zone item and it speaks to the the fact that this is very much just passed along to whoever is the next person for the meat grinder, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. so so the act of passing the coin to the next person, I thought that was pretty cool and, and pretty apt. And Jasmine, she seems like a, a lovely woman at the beginning. It, it's all about the corrupting force of these things, I suppose, isn't it? Mm, because yes. we have that scene where she's talking to her sister and um, she's starting to get a bit snotty with her sister. So yeah, you know, I I think 
for the first half of the episode, I, w- I was really kind of with it. It's it's interesting to see because the the story is not just about Jasmine. It's also about Zara. And you don't realize that until mm. later on. But you get a lot of that in the beginning, like when Jasmine comes home after seeing uh, Fiji killed. So when Jasmine comes in after Fiji's been killed and she overhears her sister talking to their father and uh-huh. her sister is saying, you know, you'd stop encouraging this ridiculous dream of hers. It's never going to happen. And I thought, well, that's rude. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that are you yeah. a singer and you find out no she's a doctor and i thought well that is a bit of she she's looking down on her sister and that is not cool and jasmine is justifiably upset by that and mm-hmm. so when she has the chance to get her own back as it were she does yeah. and she does say some things that are true and uh-huh. you can see it hurts zara I suppose where the synchronicity comes in is we first spoke about the comedian last season mm-hmm. and there is this uh, false laughter. He's not really that good of a comedian, but whatever power he has tapped into is making people laugh. And it's the same here for Jasmine. So is it too much of the same, do you think, Brandy? Or what, what are your thoughts on that? I actually didn't find, I mean, I obviously understood the symmetry of it, but at the same time, I think it was actually more disturbing, the the mm-hmm. clapping and the fact that they, you know, again, couldn't help themselves. But And it starts in the beginning of the episode. And I just, you know, I'm watching this episode. She finishes the video. Everybody starts applauding. And then she goes over to this dressing table and they're still applauding. And I'm like, that is mm. weird. What kind of sycophants are these people? And yeah. then you realize later on after she starts singing at that memorial for Fiji that, oh, right, that's what is, oh, and the episode's called Ovation. I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so, and it's it's this idea that it not just is annoying, it's disturbing. And it, in some ways, like in one instance, almost gets her killed. Because a driver is driving her home, I suppose, or somewhere. I'm not even sure where she was going. And he's like, oh, you're, this is your song. And she says, no, turn it off. But he yeah. doesn't. And he starts clapping instead of driving. And mm-hmm. he, they're both lucky that they're not dead. So this is this is something that is more threatening, I think, than just people laughing. So it was a little bit more sinister in that regard yeah and she's she's also not making people disappear when she's making jokes about them or singing about them so there is that so it's it Mm -hmm. it does have its differences but i can see why uh, there is that synchronicity between the two but i feel it was a much different feel in this episode and i suppose that there is a bit of a dual aspect to it in that you know we we talk about being meat for the grinder, uh, but there's also an element of, I suppose, the loneliness of being at the top as well. You know, once you are in it, the sycophantic nature of people, mm-hmm. like the people who are here, it, it is, it's telling us it's fake because they are doing it because of the influence they are under. But I suppose in real life, it's the sycophantic nature of people just 
toadying around you and no one's really no one really knows you and that kind of thing so there is a kind of dual aspect to it in that way i guess so there is the build-up of her fame if you like and, and we see her going through these motions she goes on a talk show no one's really listening to her they're just clapping and so on so she knows something's wrong here but she just can't give up the coin mm -hmm. but eventually she gives it to her sister to throw into the river um, we think it, we never see it go in the river. We hear a little jangle of the chain in her hand. So we never see it actually go in and she takes herself away to the cabin and, uh, and hangs out there. So I think this is where it started to lose me a bit. And I'll be interested to see whether it's the same for you, Brandy, because, you know, we don't always agree in the best possible way. It's all just bringing kind of different angles to it. Yes. Um, so that's good. And, and I'm always open to hearing those different interpretations. I can kind of see what it was because this is the other side of the meat grinder, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose what maybe soured it for me is that I, I just didn't believe where she ended up. I mean, let's talk about it. I mean, what, was any of this a problem for you or are you quite happy with it? Well... I see why they went the direction that they did because she was so unwilling to give up the fame aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that she wasn't creating anything new. And you see mm -hmm. her struggling with that while she is in the cabin. She's trying yeah. to write again, and it's not happening because mm -hmm. she so relied on that just never-ending praise and adoration no matter what she did that she stopped yeah. working at it so again it's a case of she didn't work for it mm -hmm. and in the beginning she knows that she wasn't good enough to win that competition she biffed it in that final episode and yet she won yeah. anyway and instead of just realizing then okay something is wrong with this this isn't how i want to get there she just goes along with it because she's so desperate to prove herself, especially to her family. So yeah, yeah. now she's alone again. She doesn't have anyone praising her. And she still wants to know what people are saying about her, which is why she's getting that fan magazine delivered all, all the way up there. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I saw that descent coming, but I wish it had gone a different way. It was a little mm -hmm. bit typical for me. I mean, it, it's very much part of that journey, like I said, coming out the other side of the meat grinder. I think once we couldn't see who this new star was, it was it was completely obvious from from the get-go that it was her sister. Oh, I knew when she didn't throw the coin in the lake, I knew immediately what the end was going to be. I think what it lacks for me is a certain poetry about the ending in The Comedian, I found there was a certain poetry to it in that how it ended up was very much tied into to the story. He realized he'd gone too far. He had mm -hmm. essentially wiped these people out of existence. Now, the only way he could fix what he's done was to wipe himself out of existence. Right. With this, there's no poetry for me that she ended up just going and killing the next person. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure it's probably happened in in life and i'm sure some of them sit there seething looking at the next winner of x factor or american idol or whatever so i get that but 
I don't know, it just lacked a certain poetry that she just went and killed this this woman who we never saw the face of, who we all know who it was anyway. It never felt like it was an intrinsic kind of poetic end to it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Well, well, we do see her face. We do see her lying on the ground. and Well, in the end, we yeah. do. But we kind of knew anyway who it was going to be. But... Oh, I knew. I can recognize Tawny Newsom's real hair anywhere, so... <laughs> there was no sort of connective tissue yes she'd had a decline and i suppose we're supposed to just believe that she went mad but but it, it just never felt like a, a proper ironic kind of poetic twist to me yeah. i i didn't like the ending at all and you know i know it's a it's it's fiction and it's a work of fantasy but there is no way in today's world that she would have made it in there with a knife there is mm. no way it wouldn't have happened. There would have been security people patting people down or a metal detector or something. You don't just let anyone in to, you know, something a big star is appearing at. It doesn't work that way. So that was just wholly and completely unbelievable to me in that regard. But also I just thought, so is this just another Black Mirror where she just doesn't learn anything? Or is it a lesson mm. in absolutely anyone can be corrupted, including her holier-than-thou sister? You know, I, I don't know what they were trying to say here, other than the fact that fame is a monster, quite frankly. I don't mind that it was a sister so much in that it would be a dilemma for all of us. You have this dangled in front of you. Mm -hmm. It's a very enticing prospect, isn't it? It's all right for us to sit here and say, oh, yes, it's a terrible thing. But, you know, if someone kind of dangled in front of me, I would be tempted, especially seeing as her sister was a surgeon, a very advanced specialist field that she's probably trained all her life for. And then she's going to throw it all away for fame. So I don't mind that there's an interesting angle of she too became corrupted, if you like. But I almost feel like just to have her turn up and see her sister performing would almost have been enough. Mm. The fact that she killed her, it, it just felt like it took it took any poetry that it could have had away from it. Agree. It just it did not work for me at all. I thought, really, really, this is not the person you started out with, and I know that she was corrupted by the coin, but at the same time. You know, she wasn't under the influence of it anymore. She was only under her own influence. So yeah. that was all her, and that was disappointing, really disappointing. I guess overall, I don't think it was terrible. I don't think no. it was a bad episode, you know, and I would certainly watch it again because I think it says a lot about, um, the, you know, the fame game and stuff. But at the same time, I kind of, I kind of know all this, you know. It, it's not really telling me anything new. It's presenting it in an interesting way, so that that's fine. But whereas I thought the Who of You was kind of stretching the boundaries of the Twilight Zone a bit and trying something a little bit different, I think this was a bit more just sort of Twilight Zone by the book, if you will. Paint by numbers, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, but without the poetry at the end. So, yeah. so it just made for a very Okay, experience, but what can you do? What about you? 
Well, I will say, and I, I haven't really had the opportunity to mention this before. So uh, the woman playing her sister is Tawny Newsom, whom I have mm -hmm. known of for many years because of a podcast called Spontanea Nation with Paul F. Tompkins, who is also in this episode as the okay. talk show host. Paul F. Tompkins has been one of my favorite stand-up comedians for many, many years. And he started a an improv podcast called Spontanea Nation. They would have a guest mm. on, a celebrity of some sort, a friend, etc., and talk to them about certain things. And then the improvisers who were present during that interview, they would come back after break, meet the improvisers, and then those improvisers would improv for like half an hour, 45 minutes, based on something from that conversation. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, the podcast is no longer running, but all of the episodes are still available. So I loved seeing the two of them there. I'm like, oh, oh. And they were also both on this improv show called Bajillion Dollar Properties. So uh -huh. they're, they're connected. And now Tawny Newsom is popping up all over the place. She is popping up in Space Force. She is popping up on the new Star Trek animated series, Lower Decks. She's one of the voice actors there. Oh, so is Eugene Cordero, who's another person I knew about from Spontanea Nation and The Good Place, and then Tom Lennon. The first time I ever saw Tom Lennon was on Reno 911, which was also an improvised show. So there are all these improv actors that I have known for years all together on this one show, and that made me so happy. So <laughs> that that part made, me, made it wonderful for me, but at the end of this episode just makes it fall flat. And the mm -hmm. like like you said it is an episode of two halves and the first half is interesting watching her struggle with these things knowing that she really shouldn't be where it is where she is and that it's all due to this coin and yet not having the strength to give that up that is an interesting story and then it just doesn't well like you said there's just no poetic ending to it the mm -hmm. the good thing about the ending is just you know, Jordan Peele coming in, taking the coin out of dead yeah. sister's hand, putting it in his pocket and starting to applaud. Didn't need any words. Didn't need any words. That part that I loved. That was fabulous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Best closing, not closing narration yes, ever. I agree completely. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, yeah. well done. Well done, sir. I tip my hat. Tough job. Stepping in as narrator of the Twilight Zone. I mean. And he didn't want to do it. Yeah, how many how much how much must he have stood in front of the mirror, trying to get his his patter down? It must have been one of the toughest thing in the world. But but I think this season especially, I thought he'd done a, a good job last season. But when Wynn said that they went a bit more jazz with it, I think you can really see that there's a little bit of mischievousness sometimes and that kind of thing. I'd really like that he's bringing his own character to the narrator, if you like. I agree. Well, that's the thing you have to do. You have to be reminiscent of what came before without completely copying it. And that is a really mm -hmm. fine line to walk. And I think he's found that line and yeah, is walking yeah. it very, very well. For our stats purposes then... <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a five. How about you? You know, actually, I was going to say the same thing. I would say that this is uh, five ovations out of ten for me <laughs> because it just uh, it had it had promise, and then it kind of took a left turn that didn't feel like any kind of real payoff, resolution, etc. Just didn't feel right. But you know what? Overall, 
as part of the fabric of the show. You know, I can imagine myself sitting down in a couple of years' time and having a new Twilight Zone marathon, and and it's not going to be the end of the world that this one's on. I think it was it was all right, you know, it was okay. So there is that. Brandy, it is always such a pleasure to catch up with you, and uh, it's been too long because I think the last time was last year probably it was. when we talked about season one. Mm -hmm. So I know you've got a lot on. Do you want to mention any of the, the projects <laughs> you're working on at the moment? <laughs> Add another half hour to the show. Uh, yeah, buckle, <laughs> buckle in, folks. Uh, it's going to be a ride. <laughs> so there's there's one thing I can't talk about because it hasn't been announced yet, but there is another thing mm -hmm. coming soon. But right now, I am currently working on many things. So I'm now on a new network called We Made Treks, which is all about Star Trek, in case the name didn't give it away. And I am mm -hmm. doing two podcasts on that network, one which is called Boldly Go, a Star Trek Strange New Worlds podcast, uh, titled uh, is self-explanatory. And then also mm -hmm. the Vedic Assembly, which is a Deep Space Nine podcast, which I've never had the opportunity to do a full podcast about Deep Space Nine. And I am really looking forward to both of those so you can find those now on itunes we have intro episodes out for both of them and just go over to we made treks you can see all of the things that are launching there there are a bunch 10 new shows were announced on thursday the 2nd of july and wow. that was a busy day i also do a podcast with my husband dave called the dark corner podcast and we talk about whatever we feel like <laughs> like last week we did a, a episode about uh, well, he's a wrestler, but he is also, you know, just unlike anyone you you have ever seen. Um, because we were doing our best to highlight uh, black performers, black artists, and mm -hmm. check that out. It's it's basically called it's it's about Sunny Kiss. He's called the Concrete Rose. So uh, okay. we, we have been highlighting that. And then I do a solo podcast called Headcanon, which I do all by myself and talk about all of my different fandoms. And I am very tangential because it's stream of consciousness. I know what I'm going to talk about, but I never know what tangent lane I'm going to wander down. And you can find both of those oh. things at darkcornerpodcast.com. <sighs> I think that's it for now. <laughs> it's always good. I'm glad you're, you're enjoying what you're doing and you, you're getting into new things so that's great and uh, and thank you so much for joining me again brandy always a pleasure tom anytime that you will have me i will be here okay so that is the twilight zone podcast for today now we're going to play out with listener feedback in a moment but if you want to get your thoughts in about episodes five and six of season two of the new twilight zone then you need to get your audio clips in by the 14th and you can email them to tom at the twilight zone podcast so that's the 14th of July. So let's go over to the friends of the show, the listeners, to find out what they thought about the Who Have You innovation. And I will speak to you next time. Bye for now. Hey, Tom, thanks for the opportunity to let us talk yet again about this next voyage into the Twilight Zone. I have to say it was with more than a little trepidation that I approached season two, you know, with a lot of episodes like Replay and The Blue Scorpion and Six Degrees of Freedom on the list from the first season, I figured there's more than enough reason to give season two a try. And I have to say, I was really impressed and excited with the first two episodes that's happened so far this season. 
My favorite is Meet in the Middle. It started off a bit like one of the audio dramas I wrote called Distant Voice, but I'm so gratified it went in a different direction. I thought the acting was great and the twists and turns kept you going until the end. I was thinking how the protagonist just wasn't very sympathetic, which made his end more like just desserts. He was looking for a woman to fit his needs and Annie was looking for the same in a man. Still, it's incredible when you consider that the solution could still be all in his head, as the only time he actually speaks to Annie intimately is when he's there. Of course she's real, but you know, maybe he forgot he saw her profile online and then invented the rest, and here's where we are. Regardless, they were truly made for each other. Really brilliantly set up and executed. I didn't feel like it was too long at all. It was great. I also really liked downtime, and I didn't catch the setup until it was revealed. You know, I guess my biggest complaint, if, if it's a complaint at all, it's really minor, is that all of these shows, like Playtest from Black Mirror, they all make the argument that the person would rather continue their life in a virtual world once their real life is over. But I think it would eventually drive Michelle Batty if that happened. You know, think about it. Her husband, Carl, isn't really her husband. And... Even though she has all these memories of him, just knowing that, she's going to be worried about what's to stop someone else from playing the character of Carl and what is he really like? And he can never talk about it because that's the main rule. You can't step out of character. So she's constantly with this question, sleeping beside somebody who isn't her husband. I mean, you'd be so curious and paranoid after a while. And when you add the things like downtimes and system maintenance, you might be worried they might not ever start up again. So you're entirely at the whim of the company that runs Dreamtime for the rest of your virtual and real life, as far as you know it. You know, maybe this is a setup because a, a part two of this episode could better explore that. I was half expecting that when the countdown ended and we had only the back shot of Michelle, that we'd get the camera swing around 180 degrees and we'd see her with her mouth open and vacant. The point being that she would decide to disappear now that the universe secrets were known. But who knows? Maybe it also would have been cool to have her shut down only to appear as yet a third person finding out that our reality is someone else's virtual reality and we're all just a bunch of Russian nesting dolls in an endless loop. How cool would that be? Regardless, I think what's been cool so far is that the first two shows have gotten back into what makes the Twilight Zone so compelling. The strange life-altering force of the Zone put up against a character that has a question in their life. How it is handled is based on how honest and genuine the protagonist is with themselves. Time to go and watch the next two. This is Jack Ward from the Mutual Audio Network. Have a glorious day and stay out of my head! Hi, Tom. This is Shelley in Athens, Georgia. I've never recorded before, so hopefully this comes out okay. Um, I just wanted to comment on the episode Downtime because I find it really striking that this episode would have been recorded way before COVID-19 was even a thought. And here, as the episode is being released, the whole world finds itself in a downtime for world maintenance. <laughs> and uh, the crux of the episode concerns a decision. It, it, you know, you're in this space of pause, a forced pause, 
And there has to be a decision made between continuing to play the game that gives an illusion of of power, control, and beauty, you know, and personal beauty, um, or or waking up to reality. And that's exactly, as far as I can see, where we find ourselves right now, or at least a lot of us find ourselves right now. And um, so I, I rather look at it as a parable, um, not a parable, a fable, something along those lines, um, for 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 this decision of whether to continue supporting a system that looks nice, but a lot of a lot of people are very unhappy with, and the fact that her job, Michelle's job in this reality is as a customer service rep, she's there to smooth things over, keep all the customers happy so they keep coming back and, and you know, playing the game. And uh, that's, that's a lot of people. That's, that's a lot of people um, sell themselves out to, uh, to enable the, the status quo to continue, the game to play, even though they know it's ultimately empty. And um, so it, it was a very uh, bittersweet and timely episode for me. And um, I also find it interesting that the uh, Phineas character had proposed to his wife um, saying, you know, touching his heart and saying, don't break it, when ironically, he's the one that broke his own heart. And we don't know much about his life, you know, what, why he was so unhappy with it, that, that he would do something like that, but he broke his own heart. He had a heart attack from a suicide attempt and left his wife brokenhearted. So anyway, those were my thoughts. Um, I, the first time I saw the episode, it didn't really hit me, but on repeated viewing, I think it's one of my favorite of the season. And overall, I think the season is really strong. I was very happy with, um, pretty much all of it. And I'm, I look forward to rewatching them because I binged them all at once and I need to go back and kind of digest each one a little bit better. Um, and uh, hopefully if this recording comes out good, I'll send you more for other ones. Um, uh, take care and thanks so much for all the work you do. I always enjoy listening to your episodes. Bye-bye. Twilight Zone will continue after station identification. This month, over in the After Hours Club, my brand new commentary on the classic episode Nick of Time, continued coverage of seasons three of the 80s Twilight Zone, and a classic Rod Sailing interview, plus over 50 podcasts in the archives looking at everything from Night Gallery to Rod Sailing series The Loner. So come and take your seat in the After Hours Club the exclusive club for supporters of the Twilight Zone podcast over at patreon.com slash Twilight Zone podcast. Hey Tom and listeners, Zach Moore here with my thoughts on the third and fourth episodes of the second season. First off, The Who of You, written by Wynn Rosenfeld, who was just on the podcast, and I really enjoyed uh, what he had to say on the podcast. I I think they got a great grasp of what the Twilight Zone is, the concept of the Twilight Zone is. 
uh, over there behind the scenes, and I loved him sharing that, as well as his response to the fan response to the first season. And I think he handled that really well, and I wish more creators would, would have that same attitude and mentality towards uh, towards uh, criticism and response from the fans. So uh, great job, and I hope to hear more from him on the podcast as we hopefully continue to get more of the new Twilight Zone. So the episode itself, uh, I really enjoyed this one. It took a lot of unexpected turns. Uh, well, well, first off, the, the main character, Harry, I had to look him up because I was like, I know I've seen this guy before. And he's an actor called Ethan Embry. And I kept scrolling and scrolling. I was like, where have I seen him? And Freaky Links, which was a show on Fox in the early 2000s. So those of you who know how Fox is, of course, it got canceled. I think it lasted one season, maybe. Uh, but it was like a, the X-Files in the internet age. I think that's what the angle was. But I, I knew I'd seen him. I knew he was familiar. Uh, and that, that's where I recognized him from. But didn't expect us to jump into like a, a body swapping episode. Like, it, And I thought, oh, wow, you're going to have a lot of identities that are mixed up because you got Harry jumping to this woman, but then he's jumping to a cop. So there's a cop then jumping to the woman, and all these identities are mixed up. It's a lot cleaner story-wise to just say, you know, wherever Harry is is a placeholder, and then he swaps back, you know, to, he swaps the person he's swapping into back to his original body. Uh, you know, it can get complicated if you think about it. It'd be way more complicated if if he was spreading personalities all around. There'd be no way to get them all, you know, no way to get them all back, right? So I think that was a clean story decision, and hey, this is all magic, right? So how are we supposed to know how this, is, how this works? Uh, but yeah, it was a unique uh, take on the body swap, and uh, I, I really did. I liked the detective character, right? There's a lot going on with him. Uh, he's another actor I've seen. Uh, he's in. A, he's a recurring uh, guest star on Manifest, with, which is a show on NBC right now, which I I've watched some of. Uh, kind of phased out of watching it, but but anyway, I've seen him in other stuff as well. So I liked him. He was a good foil, even though they didn't you know interact until the end of the episode. Um, and you know, talking about the twist. Right. Uh, there's well, there's a couple twists here, right? But I guess the uh, the standoff at the end was great, where they like switch into each other's bodies. I think the kid actor was great too. I really liked the kid actor being an adult. And you know, as far as you know, I haven't mentioned this yet, but you know, profanity was like a thing we were talking about with the Twilight Zone in the first season. For you know, I think it, they're using it better this season. I, I it doesn't stick out to me as much. Maybe it's because I'm used to it on the show. Maybe it's because it's more for comedic effect or like reaction effect. It's not just thrown into conversation uh for for the crude <laughs> the crudeness of it um but i i bring it up to say i love it when the kid <laughs> steps on a toy he's like ah. <laughs> you know it's just it's always funny to, it's like i love it from um you know a, a christmas story where the kid's like be sure to eat your old teen son of a you know it, it's just funny to, to, to hear kids uh say profanity that they shouldn't be saying but anyway a side note i think they're they're weaving that in if you will to everything uh better this season than last season maybe i'm just getting used to it i don't know but uh, yeah, that whole in confrontation where like like he's in his body and he's in the other, and the cops come in and they shoot, and you're like, what happened there? And the and then the the other reveal of oh, the detective is the person that Harry's girlfriend had been cheating on him with, which I thought when he dropped that earlier, he's like, I think she might be cheating on me. That seemed to come out of nowhere. It seemed to be like him just being more insecure because you weren't really sure what Harry's deal was. Like was he just insecure about everything and and paranoid? I, I mean, like oh, the casting director won't cast me, et cetera, et cetera. But it, uh, it, was, uh, it was a little contrived, I guess, to say, like, oh, all these, these people just came together. and The Twilight Zone works in mysterious ways, I guess, right? Uh, but then, like, Harry kind of got a happy ending, but did he deserve it? But it was kind of a bittersweet happy ending because, like, he knew his girlfriend was cheating on him. But it was like, well, this is the guy, so I guess we can be together. And, he, uh, and then he, he, 
you know, the bookend of him at the audition uh, in comparison to the beginning of him in the audition as himself versus the other guy, you know, giving the same performance, I assume, but the casting director loves this guy but hates him. So that kind of justifies Harry's thoughts about you know, him never, you know, being able to break through because, you know, the, the world has a has an agenda against him or whatever. He's a, this is a very morally gray episode, right? I mean, because he's not the best guy. Um, but he ends up with a happy ending. And, you know, he gets the girlfriend, he gets the career, but he's not himself. But is he cool with that? I guess so. Uh, the glasses is a nice touch. They establish that the, the power transfer doesn't work through the glasses, so he wears them. So, yeah, a lot going on, a lot to unpack in this episode. But a very enjoyable ride. And, um... You know, one, one last comment, I guess. I will say if I had one thing, I was like, oh, well, that's that's too bad. I didn't expect them to, to go that route was with the uh, with the psychic. I thought, you know, when I saw the previews, they, they leaned heavily into the psychic character in the previews. I'm like, oh, it's going to be one of those mystic shop episodes or objects and somebody's going to go in there and, and get seduced by the power of this or, or get or get obsessed with it or, or reliant on it. Like that one shot in the tra- trailer, which I thought was pretty haunting, was... You know, somebody's like, you know, the, the psychic shop is closed and the gates are on it, but somebody's like trying to rip open the gates to get in there like they like they need that power, but they can't have access to it right now. That's kind of haunting. That's where my mind went with it. Turned to be something complete. Turned out to be something completely different um, in the episode. But yeah, he ended up just being a scam, although I did like how um, he was like, hey, we're both scam artists, but what you do hurts people. I make people feel better. So again, some good commentary. Lots of good commentary just on the human condition in all these episodes. And that's what I'm always looking for, the Twilight Zone. But uh, I, I guess I just I just hoped or assumed it was going to be like, you know, the psychic shop and, and that kind of thing. But that's not that's not where they went. And that's fine. Uh, but yeah, no, an enjoyable episode. And um, yeah, looking forward to uh, more from Win Rosenfeld. Hopefully, he stays on the show because uh, he's one of the uh, one of the most uh, prevalent voices behind the scenes there. Uh, and then he keeps coming on the podcast. So <laughs> you know. Just, so anyway, uh, really enjoyed that one. And the next one, Ovation. Probably the weakest of the four so far um, for a couple reasons. One, it's the comedian again, but it's a musician instead of uh, a comedian. I mean, even the over-the-top, like, because in the comedian, people are just laughing at nothing, uh, and it was more subtle there. You're like, is he really that funny? Is he? Are they just laughing at anything because of this power? But it turns out in this one, like, people are literally just clapping and, like, causing... You know, they, they can only clap and it's causing car accidents and, you know, potential other other issues in hospitals and stuff. Although, man, what what a great dark comedy moment when the guy getting open heart surgery the, on, the, on the table starts clapping. That was a great dark comedy moment. Um, but then, you know, also the, the twist at the end. Like, like, I didn't, I had my suspicions that the sister kept the coin because you never saw the, like, the whole coin goes in the water. They just, you know, kind of cut away from it. Uh, and the sister in her had a, you know, a rocky relationship, it seemed, you know, but they, you know, they, I guess, I mean, I'm an only child, so I don't know what these sibling relationships are like, but like any siblings do, they seem to have, you know, their, their, uh, their good moments and bad moments together. But the, um, the thing about the, the coin was like, does it only work on musicians? Because like, I thought if the, if the sister got the coin, she'd become, cause I was thinking, oh, maybe she kept the coin and she, and the, and the sister's going to come out of, you know, obscurity and, and, uh, and see that her, her, uh, sister, or Jasmine, the main character, is going to come out of you know the, her her obscurity and her exile, and see that her sister became like a famous heart surgeon or something, right? But instead, of, like a musician or a musician, what? And then I, you know, I didn't expect it to be the sister, honestly, with the musician until they just only showed her legs walking on the staircase when uh, Jasmine showed up at the end. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm, yeah, 
gonna be the sister. Doesn't make any sense, but they did it anyway. And like, surely if Jasmine was reading these magazines, right, she would have known that was her sister. Anyway, that that just seemed like like a uh, like a gotcha. Like, ah, oh, look how look at this. I don't know. I I understand why they did it, right? But I just I don't think it I don't think it really works. Um, but uh, I I did like the idea of it, right? Like the the price of fame. This coin's being passed down for how long? It's like got these Latin symbols on it. Maybe, you know, maybe it's from a time before time. It's been passed passed down, you know, for, for centuries perhaps. Um, and and I do like that that first exchange right between uh, the the uh, Fiji the artist and Jasmine. Jasmine's like, I want what you got, and she she's like, What have I got? And you see these hordes of people, and she can't go anywhere and all that. Uh, so the commentary on fame and the price of it as well it was good. I just uh, I don't know, like the twist they just didn't stick the landing to me um but but i did like uh jordan peele's uh end you know quote-unquote narration where he just shows up picks up the coin puts it in his pocket like well this is going back to the twilight zone and then just claps like everybody else because that's all they can do i thought that was a cool way uh to end it and, and they've been a lot more you know creative and had a lot more leadway with their uh in narrations and even their opening narrations you know uh then you know rod sterling you know it for the most part it was like you know here i am at the beginning and here's a voiceover at the end but jordan peele there they're trying a lot of different things, and, and it makes it fun. And, and you know, things like that can happen. Where he in, in, he inserts himself more into the story, like picking up the coin, and he's done those things before in other episodes. Um, and I, you know, final word, I guess I'll, I'll say a word on, uh, on on Thomas Lennon, who who played the host of Ovation, which is by the way great. You know, everybody knows shows like this, these music shows, these uh, reality shows. So everybody understands exactly what this is, and. Uh, People know him best from Reno 911, by the way, Thomas Lennon. And he's perfect in that role. I thought, you know, I thought he was going to be more like a maybe like a mischievous uh, devil character, kind of like Tracy Morgan was in The Comedian. But that that would make The Comedian uh, parallels even stronger, right? But I, uh, you know, he was the host and he was great. But I was like, man, he'd be a good, like, kind of mischievous imp kind of dude. Uh, he also, you know, he also plays Mr. Mixes Pitalik on Supergirl. So maybe that's why I was thinking that. <laughs> so just throwing that out there. But, uh, but yeah, the, the weakest of the four... But I didn't not like it. I, I I didn't like where certain things ended up. But again, all good stories so far. Uh, I'm on board four for four of various degrees here uh, so far with the episodes, and very excited to see uh, the rest of season two. I know I've gone on uh, pretty long here, so I, I will concede the rest of my time and talk to y'all in the next batch of episodes. Hi, Tom. Matt here once again from Anthology Podcast, a show where I watch and review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and cover cover other classic and contemporary sci-fi anthology shows. Here are some quick thoughts I have about the episode of The New Twilight Zone, Season 2, uh, the episode The Who of You. <clears throat> episode the Who, the Who of You. Um... Okay, so I really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was a lot of fun um, with some kind of dark overtones and everything. This exploration of the character of Harry, who is very self-involved and and uh, only views his happiness through the prism of, of his own um, success and and everything. So he doesn't hear like his relationship or the problems in his relationship. He only sees it as as money and everything. So I really loved the body swap concept of this episode and the way that it is further kind of uh, complicated by the fact that he is, he, his body is in police custody and his, um, the way, the way that his mind is inhabiting all these different bodies and the people that he embodies is 
going back to his his body. I, I don't know. It was just a very fun um, episode. And what I've noticed, I don't I don't think I've really caught that many original series Easter eggs in this season so far. So I'm curious if they've dialed that back um, purposefully or if there's going to be more to come. I don't know. But I really loved Ethan Embry's performance in this in this episode, the way that he is able to just kind of inhabit these characters in this situation is really fun. Like when he is the, when he's playing the cop in the interrogation room and he's very carefully trying to tell, um, Reese what's happening and convince him and everything. And the only way he can do that is by telling him that he knows a secret. Like that's, that's really good. Cause it's, it's crossing a line in their friendship and everything. I just, I like the delicacy that Ethan Embry brought to that. And then contrast that with, uh, the, his freak out in the car when the kid is ent- enters into his mind. Um, it's just, it's really, really, uh, really good performance from Ethan Embry and the other actors in the, in this, uh, episode. Um, I really thought it was a lot of fun. Um, I loved the scene with Keith, the psychic, like Billy Porter nailed that performance. And I love that he is the moral center of the episode and that he is trying to convince Harry of everything that he's done wrong. And the kind of big moral center of this, of this episode is, is it all hinges on that scene is whether or not Harry accepts it and uses that to change himself or if he is still, if he's too far gone and too far selfish. So, which he kind of is by the end of the episode. So overall, I really liked this episode. You can check out my review on anthology. Um, thank you so much once again for doing this and I can't wait to hear your reviews and everything. Um, love your show and just really, really, uh, really love what you do. So thank you and keep up the great work and I'll be back for our next time. Griska again, um, back with some thoughts on the Who of You and Ovation. Um, one thing I'm noticing in the, ser- the um, this season overall is a lot of the episodes, if not all of them, take a tired uh, genre trope, or at least one that's been done memorably elsewhere, and kind of turn it on its head to investigate different things with it, which has been really uh, nice in a lot of cases. Um, this in, um, the Who of You in particular, I really like the way they take the, um, body swap, um, you know, self-absorbed narcissist, uh, learns about empathy by changing bodies and, uh, spins it on its head to be actually the more realistic situation that in most of these cases, um, if, if, a narcissist walks a mile in your shoes, he's going to be a mile further down the road and you're going to have no shoes. And and that's all there is to it. And in this, you know, he, he changes bodies countless times. Um, well, not countless, but several times and, um, learns absolutely nothing except how to be a better con man. And so that was fun. I, and I really liked the episode. It kept me engaged. The performances were fantastic. Um, I wish, uh, Billy Porter had, a little bit more to do in it because I love him, but, uh, overall I loved it. I would give it, um, a nine. Um, but then ovation, I watched ovation and, um, the first time through, I kind of enjoyed it, but the second time through with this idea in mind that a lot of these are taking these tropes and, and spinning them all I'm left with at the end of, um, 
ovation is the tropes because although there are some other ideas in there, they're not really fully developed or fleshed out or else they're actively undercut by other things. I mean, I see some hints about imposter syndrome and the way uh, women uh, tear their sisters, whether, you know, figuratively or, or literally here, um, down. Um, and uh, in order, you know, because of jealousy. And um, also there's, uh, oh, anyway, never mind, my, my mind went blank for a minute. But um, anyway, there's um, different things in there, but they're not really fleshed out enough to um, point to. And um, I think a little ambiguity could have really helped this around whether or not the coin was doing anything. Uh, as it is, it's very clear that the coin, yes, absolutely is magical. That's proved several times. But I think it would have been stronger if maybe it was her own self-doubts that were causing her misery. Uh, maybe it was all these other things going on, the, you know, like the, the jealousy with the sister, you know, undercutting her um, and driving her ultimately to destroy her sister. Um, any of those, I think, would have been much more interesting than another iteration of the be careful what you wish for fame is a horrible thing and celebrities we ought to feel sorry for because of all they go through because <laughs> that's kind of the last story i want to hear right now so that one i would give a three and i think that's generous um but that's where i'm at right now thanks a lot bye bye hey there tom Carol Clark reporting in from Butte, Texas, talking about the Who of You and Ovation. So the Who of You. Uh, well, it was a fun romp, wondering how this would come full circle and about how he would get back into his original body. Didn't see the ironic, ironic twist coming uh, until uh, his girlfriend Morena opened up the door with him as the detective. Uh, but I'm not sure about the cosmic justice on this one. Uh, he, I guess he learned to be a better actor, uh, but lives with the fact that Morena did, in fact, cheat on him. So is his life worse off? Uh, the biggest thing uh, about this is what about the former life of the detective? What about his family and the effect uh, that it has on them? He has no memories of, I don't know, aunts and uncles and cousins and, I don't know, brothers and sisters? Who knows? So, uh the main thing that struck me about this episode was uh, the scene where he meets up with the uh, the psychic. And uh, uh, the psychic has jumped bodies, and now he he's back into the, the runner's body, and that's when the psychic looks at him and says, you really did all that stuff. And he says, listen, I'm a scam artist just like you, but you're worse because at least I, what I do makes people feel better. Then he goes on about the, the people that he's swapping with is, is actually a person and not a husk that he can just slither into and that Morena is, a, is not a problem that needs to be solving, etc., etc. Uh, all of that stuff is correct. However, how easy is it to justify our own actions because someone else is doing something quote-unquote, worse. Uh, he admits to being a scam artist, but then justifies his actions 
uh, by saying he's not really hurting people. He makes him feel makes him feel good, which is just a temporary state. What decisions will people make in this false temporary good state? <clears throat> but in the psychic's eyes, I mean, it, you know, it's not like he's killing someone or robbing a bank. Um, hmm, you know, so the relative perspective of what is quote unquote right. Hmm. That would be a Twilight Zone episode I'd like to see. Uh, overall, though, uh, enjoyable. Uh, I'll give it. Uh, I'll give this one a seven out of ten. Uh, on to ovation. So this was a straightforward episode for me and my wife. Uh, what if you got praise, fame, awards, money, etc., but never actually had to put in the work? How would you react? Jasmine realizes early on that this is not right and wants to get rid of the coin. I wonder why her her sister, cousin, whatever family member, I forget what it was, wonder why she was not affected by the coin when Jasmine had it. She was never into the clapping and all that stuff. Was it because they were related? Uh, did the coin see that uh, its next victim was Zara? My wife and I are veterans, I guess, of mystery shows and such. So if they don't show it, it might not have happened. So they never show Zara actually throwing the coin away. So we're like, hmm, she could have just kept the coin. Um, one thing that I, I would have think would have made the episode a little bit better for me, just for a shock value or whatever, was when she's looking at the magazine of, of the new hot star uh, they should have shown the pictures that she was looking at, and maybe maybe it was kind of a Lady Gaga type of thing where the pictures, the, the, the costumes and the makeup and whatever is just so outlandish that you can't actually see that it's her sister. So then you would be along the ride of, well, I guess somebody found the coin in the river or something, you know, coin magically appeared. Um, and then at the end, when she looks more normal... Uh, then you realize it's a sister and you go, ah, oh, Lady Gaga, it's her sister. Oh. So um, as Jasmine's trying to get rid of the coin, but she's like, you know, kind of resistant to it. She's like, I guess she's addicted to the fame or whatever. And her sister's like, you don't need this. Or Zara's, you don't need this. Um I actually, it brought up parallels to Lord of the Rings. And uh, I had to, you know, my wife was not as familiar with the story, so we paused it and I actually explained, you know, that, hey, you know, you know, Frodo's got the one ring that he has to destroy and it's, you know, it's very addicting and, you know, he can't use it too much and he gets right to the end and he's about ready to throw it in and he can't do it. And if not for... Gollum, who everybody thinks, ah, oh, what's his purpose in life? He's just a bad guy. Not for Gollum, never would have worked out. You know, so so I think the parallels that you could talk about with Lord of the Rings and addiction and how to get rid of it and all that stuff you can bring over into uh, into this episode as well. Um, you know, at some point, uh, you know, somebody's going to have to, you know, be the one to to break this break the circle break the curse and hey now the narrator's got the coin uh oh but who knows 
Maybe he's like Gandalf and he's got enough willpower to resist the temptation. But um, who knows? Who knows? Uh, you know, interesting stuff. So, you know, straightforward, you know, for us, um, uh, I give this one a 7 out of 10. Uh, for the who of you, I also give that a 7 out of 10. Uh, for me, 5 is average. And uh, I, I think for these two episodes, um, at least for these two episodes, I didn't find myself getting distracted by how does this power work? What's happening here? Uh, there were some things I thought about, like the detective's life and other things like that, but didn't necessarily distract from the episode. Um, so one last thing that I'd like to talk about is, uh, it, for those of you not on Flick Chat, and you should get on to Flick Chat so you can read some more of the discussions uh, about that we're having about these episodes. Um, and Tom has mentioned it in, in, in the previous uh, podcast. Um, that you, it takes a viewing or two or three maybe to fully appreciate the episode. Uh, we've actually had some people actually bump up their scores, uh, for downtime because, you know, they thought kind of at a surface level, ah, it was okay. But then as you kind of dive into certain, certain bits of dialogue and other things like that, and really kind of puzzle it out, think about it, you Maybe a light bulb goes off and you're like, ah, oh, now I get it. And it, they bump their score up. So that made me think about the original Twilight Zones. You know, it, you know when we talk about you know, how good an episode is, it, is it a good episode? Because we've maybe seen it possibly 10, 12, 20, 25 times and we've really been able to massage it and, 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 you know, watch an episode and maybe concentrate on this angle and that angle and this angle and that angle. And by, you know, watching something, you know, uh, you know, a dozen times, that's what makes a Twilight Zone, you know, episode a good episode, a bad episode. So it, it's just something that's kind of struck me with this particular season, because I think it's, again, it's one of these things where, you know, you have to watch the episode more, maybe not necessarily because it's confusing, but to to find some find underlying um, you know uh, things that just really strike you. So, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Should should Twilight Zone be uh, you know pretty much straightforward? You know, like I, I think about you know monsters are doing Maple Street. I think anybody who kind of watches that episode at the very start, realizes this is an episode about how how easy it is for people to turn on other people. And you can walk away from that episode and go, okay, yeah, wow, you know, we really need to be careful here. And I, you can go back into that episode and I guess maybe dig into a little bit more of maybe character and motivations and maybe get a deeper understanding of it. But for something like that, I think... Pretty much on the first view, you kind of get what they're saying. So, you know, uh, is that what makes a Twilight Zone, uh, Twilight Zone episode or Twilight Zone episode? Is that, you know, because, you know, you got 22 minutes, you can't get too crazy with it. You know, here's what we're going to say. And, you know, the, the indie narration, maybe maybe you're a little confused, but the indie narration kind of, ah, okay, kind of shows you where you should be focusing not sure again it's just it's something that i'm gonna have to 
think about as I watch the rest of these episodes. But again, if you're not on Flick Chat, I would encourage you to get on Flick Chat and again, see some of the other discussions. And again, it may open up your eyes uh, to some of these episodes and, you know, give them a rewatch and go, ah, oh, okay. So anyway, well, that's my thoughts. Uh, again, thanks for everybody giving in their scores. And uh, again, we will uh, talk at you for episodes five and six. Okay, bye. Hi, Tom. It's Dennis from Los Angeles, a Patreon supporter. Reaching out for the first time, I'm happy to support you on Patreon. It's the least I can do for all your hard work. Well, finally, we have a season of Twilight Zone that is shaping up to be in the standards of Rod Serling. Last year, I was very disappointed. It was okay. The season was okay last year. But even the best episode last year, in my opinion, the Blue Scorpion, was only uh, mid to upper tier Twilight Zone. But then comes season three, season two. And the who of you totally blew me away. It, it had everything I could want from a Twilight Zone. I loved everything about this one. From the time Pine walks into the bank, it was a 45-minute thrill ride in the Twilight Zone. The concept was creative. It made you think as you had to follow along with all the different characters. And then just when I was enjoying the ride, it had the perfect ending with the double twist. The whole time I was wondering, how is he going to get caught? How's the cycle going to end? Well, it ended the perfect way, maybe the only way it could have ended. Uh, and then when he was walking back home to his girlfriend and when he met the girlfriend at the door, it was the cherry on top. Uh, after I watched the episode, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if this is the one that uh, Wynne Rosenfeld was talking about in your interview with him, the one that he wrote. And then I was very happy and pleased that it was, and it made perfect sense. He wrote the perfect Twilight Zone episode. So anyway, I thought it was so good. It inspired me to write. I put this episode in the top 10% of all time Twilight Zone episodes an instant classic, put me down for a 10 on this one. And if I'm allowed a proxy, my wife and son also rated it a 10. They're, they're not quite the Twilight Zone fans that I am, but uh, they adored this one. Uh, as for Ovation, I have nothing good to say about Ovation other than, uh, uh, well, it was horrible. Uh, too many why questions. Why would the sister want to go from being a successful doctor to being a star? Why didn't the main character recognize the sister in the magazine? Okay, maybe it was all the kiss makeup. I don't know. Why was the main character able to walk away from the fame, but the opening character needed to step in front of a bus? Uh, why did the main character need to kill the new star? Maybe I'm just not smart enough to understand it. Maybe I missed some key things. I look forward to hearing you talk about it so you can tell me all the things I missed. But it was hokey. It was horrible. It was a waste of my time. Why contaminate the Twilight Zone with this nonsense? I gave it a three only because uh, it had the potential to be something. So I gave it a three. And as long as I'm here, please uh, sign me up and my wife and son, if possible. Uh, give us an eight on Meet in the Middle and a seven for downtime. So the first three uh, the first three episodes of the season were all top-tier Twilight Zone, and Rod would have been proud. Thank you, Tom, and keep up your fantastic work. 
Bye bye. Hi, Tom. Chad here with a couple thoughts on the Who of You and Ovation, episodes three and four of the new season two Twilight Zone. So after a rough start to season two, the Who of You is, for me, tied with the comedian for my favorite episode of the new series. And I think both of those episodes are right up there with some of the best shows of the original series, which is as high a praise as I can give both of them. All the episodes so far this season have had pitch-perfect opening narration sequences with inventive reveals of the narrator. The Who of You had everything a perfect Twilight Zone episode should have. The element of magic with the transfer of identity through eye contact, which is apparently blocked by wearing spectacles. A winding and suspenseful plot, a moral quandary revolving around empathy, and several satisfying twists. This episode offered the performers the chance to play their characters playing other characters, and the one uh, main character was actually a character actor. Uh, This is layered and brilliant material that digs deep into the season's identity theme. I was reminded of the season four episode, In His Image, uh, which is a classic episode also based around identity, in which the Dr. Frankenstein character ends up taking on the identity of his creation and reuniting with his lover who had serious problems with his actual identity. Uh, The Who of You episode has a conclusion that harkens back to that finale with uh, a couple of twists, which I thought was just superb. Uh, The psychic revealing that he's a scam artist, but an honest one, because he gives people what they want, juxtaposed with the way in which we often play roles in our day-to-day lives, trying to be what we know people want us to be, added further layers of depth to this story. Uh, And the psychic sign, quote, find out who you are, was just classic television and uh, classic Twilight Zone and tied this episode together perfectly. Overall, uh, I think this was a a 10 uh, for the benefit of our friend uh, Harold in Butte, Texas. Uh, This was a 10 for me and was hands down uh, an episode that set uh, the standard. Um, So top notch here. Um, Ovation, I thought, was also a really good episode. It harkened back a little bit to the comedian with the ravenous applause as its own sick phenomenon separate from the actual quality of the performance of the artist. Here, the artist is a singer who obtains a magic implement, a coin with a hole in the middle from a pop star who was so miserable from fame that she stepped in front of a bus. The magic implement was perfect Twilight Zone. It was a perfect um, a perfect instrument and a perfect symbol, and I couldn't help but to think about the symbol, a coin and the two sides of a coin. So this episode is about ovation and applause. But the two sides of the coin always represent opposites, and the opposite of applause isn't apathy, it's hate. So I couldn't help but wonder if the writers were analyzing in reverse the hate given to season one of The Twilight Zone. As hinted at by the honest scam artist psychic and the who of you, maybe devoted fandom is more about the needs and wants we bring to interchangeable celebrities and less about their actual identities and their actual art, which we often project onto them. So perhaps, too, the other side of the coin, the hate we spew onto artists and projects that we dislike or disagree with might also be more about our own projections onto that art than about the meaning of the art itself or even the quality of the art. 
that might be a bit of a tortured and circuitous uh, examination, but it's where I went with this one. And uh, for the sake of our friend Harold keeping score in Butte, this one I think was a solid seven. Uh, great stuff all around this time. And while everyone here has probably already seen every episode twice already, I'm on the slow train and heading towards episode five. So it goes. Cheers. Hi, Tom. It's Adam Cook. Once again, thank you for taking the time to host discussion around the new season of the 2019 Twilight Zone, as it really helps me to be able to process these episodes, both through your discussion on the podcast and allowing us to share our thoughts. Once again, I think we got an episode that really knocked the ball out of the park. The Who of You was one of those episodes that was maybe not especially profound, but was enjoyable from start to finish. I was looking forward to watching this one after your interview with Wynn Rosenfeld, and it really lived up to my expectations. I know you said last week that you don't especially like to compare current episodes with the classic series because you believe that it should stand on its own, and I absolutely agree with the reasoning behind your decision. But I really do like to find parallels to the original series because it helps me to find grounding in the series. In this case, this episode felt like a very strong descendant of Dead Man's Shoes in that a man was not going to allow his physical confines to keep him from fulfilling his mission. I thought that Ethan Embry did an especially good job embodying the different characters, and I really enjoyed the performances of Billy Porter and Mel Rodriguez, the latter of whom I know best from Last Man on Earth. All around, it was really compelling performances. And there were a few issues with the mechanics of the episode. The fact that at first he had to look intently into someone's eyes to transfer but in one scene he could bounce from person to person through just a distant glance, and then in the climax he is again bound by the intense look. It made the rules a bit difficult to follow. And the coincidence that the lead detective was also his girlfriend's lover was a little too convenient. If they had explained that this detective specifically wanted the case for some unknown reason, and then it turned out he took the case because of this dynamic, that might have been easier to sell. But to be honest, neither of these issues was enough to keep me from thoroughly enjoying the ride. Overall, the episode felt like some of my favorite Charles Beaumont episodes. No special message, just a great ride and a satisfying twist. I left the episode feeling even more excited about the season. But then it was followed by what I think was the worst episode of the season so far, and among the worst of the series so far. I won't spend a lot of time discussing it, but Ovation felt very flat very predictable, and very boring. It reminded me very strongly of the mechanics of the comedian with even less of a payoff. The idea of a struggling artist who meets a legend of their art uh, is given some mysterious power that makes people love them, even though the art that they are producing is still mediocre. But to be honest, I'm not even sure if the song that Jasmine sang was supposed to be mediocre. It wasn't bad enough to be ironic. It wasn't good enough to be convincing. In the end, her sister taking the coin and becoming famous raised far too many questions, was way too convenient, and felt like a shoot in ironic comeuppance. I think that Journey Smollett did a good job in her performance, especially in the scenes where she is breaking down at the cabin, but it just wasn't enough to make the episode interesting. One other observation. Paul F. Tompkins' characters named Jimmy O'Malley, which I assume is a nod to the four times Twilight Zone actor, J. James Pat O'Malley. 
However, Thomas Lennon's character was named J.J. Malloy, a very similar name to Jimmy O'Malley, but I didn't really understand why. Certainly, two characters can have similar names, but it's not done very frequently in fiction uh, without there being some reason. So it just felt like there was going to be some payoff for that, but there wasn't. One final thing I wanted to mention, last week I was pretty dismissive of downtime, but I wanted to say that after listening to yours and Brandon's analysis of the episode, I've warmed up considerably to it. I love that you made the parallel to Willoughby, and I'm frankly shocked that I didn't make the connection the first time I watched it, but that really turned the episode around for me. I also uh, felt it had a really strong elegy or Still Valley vibe when she's running around the town and seeing everyone standing still staring at the orb. I also failed to mention last week um, that, as several people mentioned, the episode really felt expansive in its location, and the reason why is the episode was filmed on location in Victoria, B.C. If you haven't been there, it's a beautiful island city in the capital of British Columbia, and you can catch glimpses of the Parliament Building, uh, Empress Hotel, and the port, as well as a scene in the world-famous Bouchard Gardens. Uh, So it was really a lot of fun to see that city being used so Uh, largely in this episode. Uh, Finally, I did forget last time to give my numerical ratings for the episode, so my apologies to Harold. Um, So far, for Meet in the Middle, I give it a 7. For Downtime, also a 7. The Who of You gets an 8, and Ovation gets a 3. Overall, I'm still loving Season 2, and I really hope that it has earned enough favor to continue for many more seasons to come. Thanks, Tom. Hey Tom, Jeff here from Sherman Oaks, California, with some feedback for Season 2, Episodes 3 and 4. So Episode 3, The Who of You. And I gotta say, after the first two episodes didn't really blow me away, I had a great time with this episode. I thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I thought it would, you know, the concept was great and what I really loved was you know there was no explanation for what was going on uh you know they you know the cop asked why why is this happening the guy said I you know I don't know and I thought that was really great I thought that was true to the spirit of the the twilight zone if you will um you know just something crazy happening really have no idea what's going on and, uh, you know, everyone else is reacting to you, you know, going nuts. Uh, but, yeah, I thought that was, um, yeah, really, really fun episode. So, yeah, I would give it, oof. Yeah, you know what? I'll I'll give it a 9. 9 out of 10, yeah. It was hover. I was going to go around 8, but, you know what? I would, yeah, really, really enjoyed this. Moving on to... Uh, episode four, Ovation. And, uh, uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Didn't, um, yeah. Didn't think this one worked all that well. Um, again, as with all of these so far, uh, the acting's great, looks great. Uh, just kind of, uh, yeah, didn't really have anything much to say. I felt about fame or, you know, just that you know, fame sucks sometimes, <laughs> but, um, yeah, didn't really love it though. I will say this and I, I, I'm 
really interested to know what everyone else thinks of that <laughs> that ending part with uh, Jordan Peele as the narrator. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. I <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was kind of a goofy episode, especially when you know the, the applauding in the surgery room, the guy with the open heart. I was laughing. Again, didn't love the episode, but I was amused by it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely that outro with Jordan Peele and him just picking up the coin and and clapping and looking to the camera. I that worked for me. I your mileage might may vary on that, but I thought it was I thought it was a lot of fun. So out of ten, I got I'll give it a six. It was hovering around five, and then Jordan Peele's outro. Uh, yeah, bumped it up a notch. So, yeah, let me take off here. I'll keep this uh, relatively short and sweet. And, uh, yeah, can't wait to hear what everyone else thinks. And uh, take care. Hi, Tom. Matt here from Anthology Podcast once again, a podcast where I watch and review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and cover other classic and contemporary sci-fi anthology shows. Here with some quick thoughts about Ovation, the fourth episode of Season 2 of the CBS All Access Twilight Zone reboot. Um, so Ovation, I thought, had some interesting things about it. Ultimately, it's a little bit lackluster. Um, it just, it didn't really hit with me the way that I was hoping it would, or that I thought it would when I was started the episode or, you know, uh, when I started the episode. So one of the big things I, I like about the episode is it's kind of depiction of the concept or the dynamic between artist and fan. Like this has such a kind of over the top thing where the fans are clapping just completely mindlessly at anything that Jasmine does in the episode. And I thought that was a really interesting kind of narrative device to to uh, poke fun or satirize the idea of fandom uh, toxicity, like people being just fans of something without any uh, regard for the actual talent and taking ownership of, of talent and everything. So I thought that was kind of interesting. It doesn't really explore, the episode doesn't really explore that very far. Um, but one of the issues that I have with the, with the episode was that it feels a little tonally inconsistent. So we have the, the, the applause and everything and the kind of the, uh, the rise of Jasmine as a star. And then we have like that, that takes such a silly turn, like with the car, <laughs> with the driver clapping and almost getting her killed in an, in, in an accident and then followed immediately by the guy on the operating table, uh, clapping with his chest open for surgery. Um, like that, it, like that is a silly kind of like extension of, of, um, this kind of heightened reality that this episode exists in. And then like after that, we just get just a sharp turn in tone. Like she is alone. She's, she's freaking out. She is, um, consumed by jealousy and anger. And I just didn't buy the fact that that, that that jealousy and anger would lead to her to murder a complete stranger, uh, just out of jealousy. And I think it's an extension of the, Twilight Zone properties of the coin and everything, so I can accept it for that, but I just think that the tone was just a little bit 
scattered. Like it's just a little too inconsistent. And then as much as I love that last scene, the, uh, with, with peel taking the coin and clapping and everything, I thought that was just very fun and silly. It also comes immediately after this woman, our protagonist just like murdered her sister, um, or severely injured her sister. So again, it kind of seems a little bit, um, inconsistent in tone, but, um, overall I thought the episode was fine. It was, it was a solid episode, maybe one of the weaker ones of the season, but I did appreciate, uh, certain aspects of it and some of the, um, some of the characterization. So that's my, those are my thoughts on ovation. Thanks so much for doing this again and keep up the great work on the podcast. Big fan and can't wait to hear your thoughts on this episode. What's going on, Tom? This is uncommon NASA again, now with week two of the new twilight zone season two feedback and shows that you're putting on. So in last week's feedback, which I recorded five seconds ago. <laughs> I, I I kind of got into meet in the middle and downtime, and uh, I was a bit disappointed. And um, I think I think I don't want to be overly harsh. I, I I think I recognize the qualities of the show, the amount of effort that's being put into making this look the way it looks, and and having it stylistically read the way it does is something that most shows these days don't really think about obviously every show from the most ridiculous pop show to the most stylized you know cable hidden gem show have some kind of angle that they're trying to put out there but i i really think that they're they're doing a good job of replacing that black and white noir feel that the original twilight zone had with its own look and there's a lot of discipline that comes with that. And it's not just the way it's shot or the way it's directed. It's also the way it's written. And I think to some degree they're trying to keep up with the pace that they set in season one. As I said, as I wrapped up last week, I think the problem with season two is they're not only having to keep up with the original series, which is a Herculean task, but they're now also trying to keep up with season one. And I think that brings me to the who of you, which... You know, as a watch, isn't, you know, unwatchable. There's nothing, you know, it keeps your attention. It certainly gets a little bit repetitive. It also draws upon uh, The Four of Us Are Dying from the original series, which was also drawn upon um, a movie that I haven't seen in a long time that I, I loved when I was younger that I need to hunt down because Kyle McLaughlin's in it and he's awesome. I didn't know that when I was 10, but a movie called The Hidden is very similar in theme it's a lot more graphic there's like an alien and all this other stuff but that being said this theme has been done i thought that this was done a little bit differently this time a little bit simpler it had different angles to it but it went on for too long i think especially on the talent of watching downtime which i thought was timed perfectly probably the best timed episode maybe in both seasons so far uh of the new series it just it just showed me how great some, this could be if you kept it to the 30-minute and change range. You know, under 40 minutes, I guess, would be the answer. I just thought this meandered um, a bit, but, you know, the technical stuff wasn't the issue. I don't want to, like, dissect the way that it was made because that really wasn't the problem. I think, for me, the issue at this point in the series is that there's not a message, and... 
I don't really know what the message of this episode was because the the message being shouted to me by the sign on the psychic was something like I'm paraphrasing like find your true self or you know find out who you really are something like that. This guy knew exactly who he really was. He was a great actor who was underrated, who was broke, who deserved better from his girlfriend. That's exactly who he thought he was. That's exactly who he was. You are who you think you are. So for me, this episode would have been benefited by a character who didn't have confidence in his acting and was doubtful, but was actually better than he thought, but not getting the jobs because he couldn't get his confidence together. And maybe his girlfriend is supportive and trying to tell him, like, you can do this, you can do this. And because of that reason, he goes out and tries to rob the bank. And because of that reason, he needs to get into other people's lives and characterizations to find himself. I get it. That's a lot more of an A to B story. That's a lot more straightforward. And far be it from me to just sit and start criticizing the way somebody writes and, and play editor. But I do think that there's something to be said for the first four episodes in that you're trying to do these more inner stories instead of outer stories, and that's a great thing. But if you do the inner story, you still need a direction, you still need a point, you still need a message that's clear and concise. And I just am watching stories now. You know, as compared to season one, season one laid out not just like, hey, we're going to take on these political points or these social points, but we're going to, from a story perspective, we're going to take you from one place to another place, and you're going to know where you're going the entire time. We're all on this bus together, and we're going here. And some people didn't like that, and some people did because of where the destination always ended up. But even the episodes in season one that I thought didn't hit the mark as hard, you know, like the Wonderkind, I know what I'm doing. I know what you're trying to tell me. I know what the message is. I understand what I have just watched. Maybe I didn't like everything about it. Maybe I didn't like the style and the tone of it compared to other better episodes like Replay or, or what have you. But I, I know what I watched. And I, I don't know what I watched in The Who of You. I don't know what I watched in Meet in the Middle. I don't quite know what I watched in Downtime, even though it was more enjoyable. I don't know what I watched in Ovation. And when I say I don't know what I watched, it means I don't know what the message is. And maybe I'm dense. Maybe I haven't thought about it long enough because I'm recording less than, you know, 12 hours after I watch them or at least 24 hours after I watch them. Maybe the problem is me, but I need the Twilight Zone to have an edge and a point to it and a message. You know, when when Serling and the rest of those guys wrote episodes like The Game of Pool, where there's no social bend it's just about a guy's ambition and how it's destroying him. I know that. I could sum it up in half a sentence. I know what I'm watching. There's so much complexity to it that I could simply recap it in one sentence. A man is destroyed by his own ambition. But when you watch the episode, it's so much more than that. And I get it. That is the Twilight Zone at its best. You know, it's a high bar. But it's not about being as good as Game of Pool. It's about trying to follow that mold. And I, I don't really see that in the first four episodes. As great as they're shot, as great as they're acted, as great as they're directed, you know, it's like music. You know, in hip-hop, sometimes you can have a really dope MC, and he could be, you know, rhyming over really dope beats. But for one, whatever reason, you appreciate the, the beats, you appreciate the rhymes, 
but it doesn't work together. And I think to some degree that's an analogy for what I'm seeing so far in the first four episodes. Briefly, I will mention again, I feel like I've mentioned it too many times, but um, Two Sentence Horror Stories is a series that got picked up by CW and was shown here in the States on CW. It's available on the CW app uh, to binge. And while not every episode was good, where that series succeeded is that they put a lot of social issues into the messages of their episodes, into the writing, but they also were able to tell like kind of simple, ghosty, creature feature sort of stories. And I thought that it worked really well. It, it, it didn't rely on the overt like technical messaging that Black Mirror does, and it didn't rely on the overt ethical messaging that Twilight Zone Series 1 did. And I think that's where this show should be right now. Um, you should still be giving me something. You should still be giving me some message to carry with me, and I'm not getting it. I'm not, I, I might be entertained to some degree, but I'm not getting something more, and that's what the Twilight Zone does. And that's what the Twilight Zone should do. So Ovation, as a musician myself, this one hit home a little bit. Obviously, I'm not a pop star, so it's a little bit different. But as a musician, I, I feel like this could have did a lot more, you know, to show sort of, again, uh, coincidentally, I didn't do this on purpose. I'm not that good. But, um, you know, Game of Pool showed that ambition and... While ambition was part of the point of this episode and probably what they intended to be the actual point of the episode, I think a lot of it focused on the um, the amulet or the uh, you know the, the necklace a little bit too much without even telling me anything about it. Where did it come from? What does it mean? What happens next now that now that it's laying on a dead person's chest? Like I, I it just left me hanging. Ah oh, man, I don't want to just crush the show. I, it it's a great. It, it is really made really well, and it bothers me that I don't like it. I want to like it, but I don't feel like I'm getting what I got in season one, and that was something that pushed the envelope on conversation. And right now, of all times, that's what I need. And I think adjusting the way to deal with social issues and showing how social issues are a struggle of self in a quieter way, maybe than season one, but, you know, more refined. You know, you said the things you need to say in season one. Now it's time to go into depth in those conversations, not to shy away from them. And, you know, in comparing the two seasons so far, I just do not understand why. I am what I'm being exposed to, what messages are being told to me. I, all the twists to me have, even Downtime's twists, which I like Downtime, you know, okay, so she just lives in this robot world. All right, well, now what? You know, like, you know, it's it's a lot different than like an episode like San Junipero that, uh, from Black Mirror that when it ended you know, this rea virtual reality world, there was a point to everything that was done. And I don't know whether these episodes are being rushed or panically written or what, but like, you know, I just, I don't, I don't like the direction of, of the writing and uh, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. Um, let's, let's go to some ratings. Um, the Who of You, I think I would give that a five. I just, yeah. And uh, Ovation, I would give a six. So to recap the first two weeks, downtime seven, meet in the middle five, who have you five, ovation six. That's sort of where I am. I can't I can't make up anything. I can't say anything different. Um, 
I went in with an open mind and, and I think I might've said this last week. Maybe if I didn't, I'll say it now. Like, you know, through the first 40 minutes of meet in the middle, I was like, wow, like people that said that this went the wrong direction are wrong. They're really doing it. And then that ending just really put me into a tailspin and made me, the ending of that episode made me cynical, not cynical. Um, I'm not sure what the word is exactly. It made me suspicious of everything and it made me start to become hypercritical. And I hate that, but that is just what it did. And that's where I am. So, you know, we've got another six episodes and hopefully uh, I'll get a couple of real thrillers in there.